Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So, Alain Prost, hello and welcome to Formula Once Upon a Time. Hello. Thank you very, very much for joining us. Four times world champion, team owner, cyclist extraordinaire. How are you doing? Um, can be, can I be better, you know, myself, you know, if the world was uh, going a little bit better, that I would be very happy. You cannot be 100% happy with what is happening uh, beside, but I must say that I'm very, very lucky man. And, uh, I still do what I love. Uh, I have my, as you said, my hobby, my business, uh, my family. I mean, everything is uh, is okay. You know, it's just uh, just a question of how I I use my time. You know, every day. Thank you, Alain. I'm joined by my great friend Roberto Boccafogli. Ciao, Norman. Ciao, Norman. In Italy, we remember Mr. Prost as uh, il professore, the professor. So. This is one of the keys that uh, would be nice to, to talk off with him now. He's still a teacher, but he's teaching um, somehow differently. Is that correct, Alain? I try to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were asking Norman and myself, uh, you are the professor, okay? You remember you, we remember you like that. And uh, being a professor 30 years ago, it's quite different, I guess, than being a professor today with these cars, these drivers, these trucks, and so on. And uh, you are leading a big job in Renault, and for sure you are also in the position to see from very close what the drivers are doing now. What is for a driver today being a professor? First of all, my nickname, Professor, uh, is, uh, that is, I think it was 82 or 83. Uh, if you remember, uh, we had uh, three choices of tiles with Mishnah at, at the time. It was uh, 05, uh, 07, there were 10. So it was hard, soft, and, uh, and medium like, um, like we have today. But we had the choice of uh, using the tiles with the way we wanted to. Uh, nobody before has done it, but uh, you know, the way I set up the car, uh, I was working you know, very hard to set up the car with the engineers, but very often alone, you know, I mean, uh, I always set up the car the way I wanted to. I was telling my engineer, okay, you do that, you do that, you do that. 
And then um, I, I try in private tests to use, uh, for example, odd tire on the left and soft tire on the right, or even odd tires on the front and soft at the back. I even use qualifying tires in 80, uh, 82 in, uh, in uh, Las Vegas mm-hmm. to start the race. And wow. if, if you remember, we had 250 liters of fuel at the time, so mm-hmm. it was a very heavy car, but uh, qualifying tires on the front because I could not, I could not make the, the, the front tire working. So why I say that? Because at one stage I decided to do, uh, you know, uh, out on the out on the left and, and soft on the right. And Pierre Dupasquier from Michelin mm-hmm. came to me and said, "Anna, you, you can't do that. It's not going to work." He said, "Let me do." <laughs> I, I did the whole setup of my car because of that. I have tested it in private test many times because I wanted to see if I can set up my car depending on the tires I'm going to choose. And in this way, nobody's going to copy me. Because if they want to do it, they have to set up the car according to that. You know? And they cannot. And then I won the rest. And after that, he said, Officer. <laughs> that, that was, uh, and the nickname came. At the beginning, I did not like it. Because that is too much. You know, I don't want the people coming <laughs> that. And then, uh, uh, but 30 years later, they, you still call me professor, which yeah. is which is nice in a way. You know? So it's good to have a nickname. So to answer your question, uh, that was uh, I really asked myself honestly uh, if I was uh, the way I was uh, 30, 40 years ago today in these cars, what type of uh, work I would do. And uh, I also wonder if I would be also as good as I was in the past or, or not, because obviously the world has changed and the, the job that you ask a driver is completely, is completely different. So what you're saying, Ala, is that the drivers are now the pupils and the engineers are the professors. So it really, it's, it's upside down, completely different. It's almost the opposite, you know. I still think that uh, a driver with the big capacities of uh, knowing the car, knowing what he wants to do, knowing uh, the way he drives, is, uh, is still uh, still going to be a, a, a top driver. But I wonder, I don't have all the answers. I wonder also myself if sometimes a driver being only fast, only fast, that means only quick uh, behind the wheel and just listening to the engineers, maybe can, can be today an exist exceptional driver. In the past, that was not possible. That is for sure not possible, no. I've seen a lot of drivers being as fast or maybe sometimes quicker than me, but they could not manage, you know, to set up the car well, to uh, motivate the people behind them, to understand what they were doing, to understand what they were doing, morning, qualifying, rest, and then rest after rest, and then during the whole career. That means at one stage, you need to you need to follow what is the evolution of the of the car, the evolution of your team. You need to follow things. You know, you need to be sometimes uh, naive, but sometimes political. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 a mix of everything. All the big names, all the big champions that we had in this period. Look at the, the, the charisma, look at the character, look at the, what they were, 
you know, and showing, you know, inside the teams, outside the teams. It's, it is very different. But having said that, that doesn't mean that what they do is not complicated. It's not, it's not, uh, it, some people could say it's much easier. Yes, the cars are easier to drive. I drove this model car, it's very easy to drive because everything is perfect. The ergonomy inside the car is perfect. You don't have to change the gear and push to the clutch. But, you know, getting the last two, three tenths is always very difficult. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and you need to drive very fast. You need to, you're always uh, um, concentrated. Uh, they, they talk to you on the radio. They do, you move uh, buttons on the steering wheel. It's, it's very different, you know. Uh, I still think that it's easier. And I, I, one thing I'm sure, I love what I was able to do in the past because of the evolution of the technology, because we had to follow this evolution and we, had, we, we were racing drivers, we were test drivers, we were, you know, almost engineers sometimes because we were giving the information to the engineers. We have no telemetry or even sometimes you could lie, you could say exactly what you wanted to do. That happened very often, you know, <laughs> and uh, today was absolutely impossible because we can see you know, I'm in front of my screens today. I can see everything, you know. All the information I have, you know, is, uh, is all, only connected, you know, uh, numbers compared to what the, yeah. the, the specialist of the engines or the... the but uh, when you start to see the, the, the tires temperature and the brake temperature and, the, you know, everything, shit, you know, is... Uh, we are we are living in a, in another world, but yeah. I, I'm not going to be the one saying it's much better, much easier. Uh, it is very different. Yeah. Alain, you've uh, you very comprehensively answered um, about four or five questions we were going to ask you, <laughs> yeah. and I found it fascinating that so you're really saying that the driving by the seat of the pants, you know this this old-fashioned expression of feeling, you know, feeling with your bum how the car works and everything. Yeah. And, and the fact that you started relatively late to drive, you know, I mean, you, you, you got into a cart at about 14, 15, and, and nowadays drivers start much earlier. Do you think they're more programmed to follow what an engineer says and listen to, you know, older and, and supposedly more expert people, and therefore their decision-making is less is less important than in, in your area, and particularly with you? I think there's uh, two different things. Uh, I started uh, from the one I was uh, 20, 25. Uh, yeah, 25. Uh, I started racing in go-kart, I think I was 17 or something like this, so I started quite, quite late. But it was almost the average about the generation at the time. Don't forget that to drive a, a car, uh, I mean, to, even to go to school, the, the Winfield, uh, Elf Winfield School, you, you needed to have one year of license. Mm -hmm. That means that was not possible before 19 at the time. I think it has changed very, very quickly. The first driver having the, the authorization to, to drive a racing car below 18 was Eddie Schiller in, uh, in, in, in Italy. He, he was 17. Now, um, I can see that with my son and my grandson, you know, he's four and he started to go and go-kart. I mean, uh, <laughs> it's not his decision, okay? It's not his decision. Yeah. That was my decision to go racing. It's not his decision. When you, when you push your, I mean, from four to eight, that's, that is never the decision, yeah. you know? So 
mentally it's already something completely different. And that is why the, in our business, you know, the people like Nikki or whatever, you know, the big names, if you, if you decide to do something and you, you do everything you can to reach your goal, you, 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 your character, your, your personality is, is obviously very, very different. When you start so young and you arrive and uh, when you're almost a child, you know, with the big engineers and they, they, they tell you to do that and that and that, obviously you listen. But you listen because you're young and because you're, you know, there's, there's no other option. There's no other option, you know. And then on the other side, you have the technology. And the technology is so huge today that uh, you cannot understand everything. You know? There's a big difference between my era and today. So, Alain, let me get this right. You're saying that in your day, you were really, you know, apart from being a professor, you were really the boss. I can say that, for example, when I was doing the setup of my car, I was giving to my engineer, any, any, any team, you can ask them. I was doing a list. I want that, 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 that. Before I was going to, to, to the hotel, they had the list. In the morning, I was coming back, I said, I check, like, uh, like in the plane. And then that, 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 yeah, it's done, you know? So that is completely, that, that is completely different, you know? They are, they are really in, a, in the hands of these, uh, these guys. And um, you have, I mean, saying that, you have, you have said everything, you know? And uh, you, you, can, you cannot have things in your, in your hands. So you have, to, you have to adapt that. You go to the simulator, you, you just listen. During the, during the day, you listen to what they are. You, you read the data and you listen to what, uh, what, what, they, what they tell you. And then just to complete what I wanted to say, in fact, is my vision in my, my period. I had the overall uh, picture of everything. That means chassis, engine, tires, brakes. I knew, I knew everything. Today, even today in my role, impossible. Nobody can have the, you can have a wide vision, but you cannot have a precise vision of everything because you have specialists everywhere, everywhere. So you have to accept and you have to be confident to those, uh, those guys. For the young driver coming today in this business, he has to be confident to what the people are beside them and they, 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 tell, they tell it. Alan, uh, can we say that, uh, I mean, you were as drivers, you were much more than today in some way leading the team. Today, yeah. drivers can interpret perfectly what comes from the team, but it is more difficult today even from Hamilton, to lead the team? We, we were leading the teams, in my opinion, with, a, as I say, maybe a sort of charisma, personality, the way we wanted to, to do things. Uh, because you cannot work the same. Uh, I, I've been, you know, with the French team, Italian team, I mean, English teams, and they are all a little bit different, you know, but you, you, you still want to manage you know, the, the same way because it's your personality, the way you work. But sometimes it's a little bit more difficult in some, some yeah. places. Today is very different. You know, it's a, 
is a way of doing things and uh, everybody has the same uh, briefing time and they, they do that and can you see on the track everybody's doing the same program everybody's doing the same program at one lap difference they all do the same yeah. you know? it is un- unbelievable so uh, yeah we were we were we were leaders you know uh, also as I said before we are repeating everything this uh, we uh, I remember Nikki, myself, obviously Ayrton, uh, even KK, we were, I mean, a few drivers, we were telling what to do on the car, you know. That, that is the way of leading the, the, the thing, you know. But if, you, if you're right, that means if you, and very often we have the humility that today, very difficult to have, to have this kind of quality. Mm-hmm. That means, okay, please do that on the car, and then we test, you know. Then you come back and say, no, sorry, it was the wrong way, you know. And, and today it's much more difficult to, to do that because uh, you have the people that can see exactly what you are doing at any, any kind of angle of the cor- into the corner. So the, you have the, the personality you can have as a driver yeah. is obviously much lower. Yeah. You, you, you understand? So you, you, need to be, you need to be in, in a sort of a ambience where the driver is not, uh, cannot be a leader anymore. So the only way he can uh, be a leader is winning, <laughs> performing, smiling, being a good uh, communication guy, yeah. good marketing guy. You know, he, he has a, he has different ways. You know, for us, we were asking more to be a a nice guy in the team and leading the team technically and uh, you know the marketing was going beside you know it was really really different so again it's a little bit different Alain is there anyone that and you mentioned in different teams which is actually is actually quite unusual um, anyone that sticks out particularly because you 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 had your ups and downs of the teams as as, as any strong-minded uh, person like like you are obviously because teams are also led by strong-minded people um is there anyone that sticks out uh, you know is world championship that you you felt particularly pleased about yeah if you ask me my best souvenir for example i will tell you okay i don't have any 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 more uh, best souvenir because i i only take the my the package of my career and my life because I started, I had nothing. I wanted to be a football player. I went, I went to the go-kart by, only because of my brother, almost by luck. But also uh, the motivation, I was, I'm very proud about what I've done from the beginning. So being four times, five times, six times, doesn't mean the same today than it could have been a few years ago. But yes, if I can answer about one championship that I really, I'm really proud of is 86. Because that is the that is exactly what my philosophy, uh, what I expected, you know, to, to to inside the team. We had, uh, if you remember, '86 was with uh, KK. Yeah. Uh, at the end of '85, when the owner signed KK, I mean, everybody said it was going to be a, a nightmare, and uh, okay, KK is going to beat Alain. Or it's going to be a clash or whatever, and then we—it was maybe maybe one of my best teammates. You know, uh, I, I can I say that maybe it's uh, 
it's uh, easy to say that because he, he was a little bit down, you know, was uh, because he could not adapt himself to the to the to the car. I I could see that from the beginning, but never nevertheless we had a fantastic relation, very good, and uh, we uh, we were very down in terms of engine, you know, compared to the to the Honda engine with the Williams, and we had uh, the two guys, you know, and I and there's some fighting uh, beside. So we really played this year knowing that we had a very little chance to, to win this championship. But we, the whole team, you know, I don't remember 86, maybe we, maybe we were 100 people inside the team. I don't know exactly, but we had 100 people <laughs> behind this uh, season because we had one 84 with Nikki, 85 with me. So it, would not be a problem in, in a way, you know, but we, we wanted to fight until the end. And that's what we have done. Every, every, every time, if you remember me pushing my car in Okenheim, you know, one point was one point. We, want, we wanted to, to, to try to find. And the last rest was unbelievable because uh, we managed to have this, uh, as I said before, about the tires. Uh, I really, I really spend my time to use the, you know, with fuel in in, uh, in practice uh, to to set up the car the best way. We realize that we could not manage to go uh, without changing the tires, and we had the plan to change the tires, and we had the plan with KK to put more boost and to and to leave him on the front, you know, to. To, to uh, I don't know the term in English, but the rabbit, you know, the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the hair, the hair and the rabbit. Yeah. And, and, and the, the, the unbelievable thing is, uh, I, I don't remember exactly which lap we, we have planned to change the tires. And just two, two laps before, I had the puncture. So because of the puncture, I lost a lot of time, but I came back to change the tires. So nobody realized that I've changed the tires because it was decided. It was only because of the puncture. Where this, Alain? Which track? Uh, in Adelaide. Adelaide. Adelaide, yeah. So that was uh, the, the old season plus this race and the way we managed with, with KK. Uh, so that was a team, uh, a team effort, the team spirit. And when, when you win, I mean, it's, uh, that was one of my best souvenirs also is Mansu and Ron and uh, in the evening, it was really, uh, was really, really great. Yeah. But still, if Nigel was not uh, having his tire failure, yeah. it was more, much more difficult to win. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I, I mean, I had only maybe 1% one, 1 chance yeah, to yeah. win, but uh, we, we managed to do that. I think they, they did not see that it was on the limit with the tires because they were fighting so much together. Yeah. But even in, in practice, very often they were fighting to get the pole. Yeah. I was I was uh, I was working 80% of the time with full of fuel, you know, to, to test the tires thing like this. But it was possible at the time to keep everything secret. Even with the people that was good year at the time, even with the people we, we managed to, to, to keep secret. And uh, today, I mean, almost no way. no way. You know, you cannot hide anything, which is a shame because that's part of racing. You know, you want to, to get things for, for you. Uh, and I always say that we should go back to this thing about the tires. You know, you choose what you want about the tires. You can set up the car the way you want, put less aerodynamic, put a more, more simple cars, let the drivers do what they want according to their style. You know, all these kind of things, I would like to get it back. I think it would not would make more sense for the for modern, modern Formula 1. And of course, it would be far, far cheaper too. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. That plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. So, we're talking to Alan Prost, and apologies for uh, some, some of the audio which is not perfect. Alan, we'd like to ask you, now that you've been you've explained the difference between being a, such a successful driver as you were in your day and what it is to be a successful driver now. Can you give us an insight on what it's like to be a team manager? Because, of course, you've done that too. Very difficult to explain, uh, to talk about my experience as a team, uh, as a team owner. Very difficult. Because um, I've done it in France. Yeah. France is maybe the worst country to, 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 to run this kind of business. You know? Especially if you have uh, if, you, if you have uh, competitors there in England, or I mean, you see, you cannot compare with Ferrari. But uh, uh, that my my ambition was to, you know, I, I, I was pushed, in fact, to do it, you know, by almost by the French government, and I really wondering what uh, if I had to do it. When I decided to do it, that was with uh, Peugeot. We had signed a contract with Peugeot. One week later, I had to pay the engine. That was normally a contract of five years. It came back to the contract three years. Two months later, they have, uh, they have decided that uh, they reduced the involvement in Formula One because they wanted to go for rally racing, come back to rally racing. It started so bad that uh, from, from, from the beginning, it, it was never good. Uh, I'll give you an example. I had a uh, maximum one, 190 people in France. And then after with John Barnard, I had a very small group of 20 people in England. I had the same salary mass, you know, than McLaren with 500 people. You know, France is a nightmare for that. Absolutely a nightmare. I can give you, you know, 10,000 of examples that it's very difficult, especially in this kind of business. Then I had uh, the situation with Peugeot. They were not motivated. And we had uh, 85 uh, breaking engine the last year, 85. Can you imagine that in a, in a 
period of 2000, you know, when uh, Michael started to win races, they had uh, one engine engine failure in four years. You know, I had, it, it looks like, you know, when things doesn't start well, you have everything, you know. But I had the smallest budget also in Formula One. It was the smallest team. Yeah. Minardi was just behind us. You know? And uh, we met some podiums the first year. We have been in front of Ferrari in the constructors one year, but we had so many problems, so many engine failures. And, uh, and at the end, I had, when I took the Ferrari, that was 28, $28 million dollars the engine at the time. And the, the, when I signed, I had to sign a new contract, it was $32 million. So the, the whole thing was not correct. The whole economy, the, the business model was not correct anymore. And Renault has decided to go back to Formula One then all the partnership that I had in France, they all collapsed in, a, in about one week, you know. We, we are, in, in our country, it's, uh, for this type of uh, business, it's impossible. It is also too political. Yes, yeah. And uh, it, it, it's a different spirit. When we are talking about the spirit of teams or drivers or whatever, you need to have the right environment. That was not the right environment. Very difficult to talk about that because you always try to find excuses And uh, when you have uh, been uh, a very successful person, sportman, as I was, when you start to have a problem, very little problem, you can see that it's so much jealous people that they want to, they want you to go down. You know, they don't want to help you. If you are at the top, obviously they are behind you, and then you can be even better than you, than you look. So I've learned that 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 is called you know what it's called experience. So <laughs> I, I have I have no problem you know I have a good job. It's going to be even better in a few weeks or months. It's going to be it's a challenge again you know. And uh, I've not been successful with my team for sure as uh, you cannot do things all right or correct, but. When, It's almost now, almost 20 years later, I can say that uh, I've not done many things incorrect. I think that I have done everything I could with the, all, all the tools that I have. But uh, if I can be successful again with Renault in the future, with Alpine now in the future, and having, having a sort of revenge on this new thing, it's not my first motivation. I, you know me, it's not, I'm not like this. But I, I would be, I would be very happy. But I, I think you, are going to put experience to, uh, to, to work here. Exactly. You mentioned obviously Alpine and um, and Renault and um, and maybe of course and, and Alonso coming along here. Tell us a little bit about this project. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, first of all, it's uh, what is very good and very positive at the moment. We have a new structure. We have a new president, and uh, for the first time, we have a strategy. We have a strategy linked to the to a brand, you know, and uh, it's going to be a long process, that's for sure. Uh, but they want to to put this Alpine brand, you know, at the top uh, for uh, being a sports car, uh, but it can be can be something different. I mean, uh, it's not my in my mouth, but the president said I want to have a I want to to have an idea of being a, a new Ferrari, you know, uh, even. Uh, very difficult to compare to Ferrari, but at least you need, you, you, you have a guide and you have a strategy. And Formula One is all together with the, with the brand. So in fact, we are, uh, it's like if you build a brand, a new brand, 
together with a, a marketing project, which is a sportive project, which is Formula One. And that is very interesting. That's the first time we have that all in together. It's a big motivation. So uh, Fernando is a twice world champion with Renault. It's, it's part of the history of, uh, of Renault, but it's not because of, only because of that that we took him. It was uh, wanted to come back. We had uh, Daniel left us very soon this year, which is uh, really a shame, as you can uh, you can understand. But uh, Fernando is going to help us to, to bring the, to put the level. We are going to to see also how it works with a uh, guy who is really demanding, very committed. Uh, sometimes maybe a bit difficult, that's for sure, because uh, but it's as, as for the character, really. for the character. But it's also I'm there. I want to I know Fernando very well. I'm going to to see how it not. But what is important is to put the team again, 2021 uh, at upper level. So every kind of experience you can you can bring, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be positive. Thirty years ago, your rivalry, your clash, we can say, was absolutely the main topic of Formula One for years. But uh, I never forget that uh, Ayrton, the last thing he said on the radio was, uh, I send a great hug to my friend uh, Alain, who is in the piss now. Yeah, we and miss you. We miss I, you. I miss you, we miss you. Yeah, I miss yeah. you, we miss you. Yeah. And I ask you, what was happening after those hard times with him, after you retired, after your fourth crown, what was happening that made you so close once again? I think, you know, in, uh, if you remember in 93 in uh, Adelaide, yeah. uh, two weeks before, I said to Ayrton, we were on the podium also together in yeah. Japan. And I said, oh, Ayrton, maybe it's the last podium that we, we, are, we are together. We should show to the, to the crowd, the people, that uh, we should show something. I said, let me think. And he came back, you know, just before the podium, he said, no. Okay, so we had the podium, it was really cold. <laughs> and then in Adelaide, uh, I didn't ask anything. No, we were on the podium together. And then he asked me to come to the, the first uh, together. And we had a nice picture. I was very happy about that. And we had a press conference, it was really nice. He started in a press conference to tell me I'm going to miss you, why you, you retire, and uh, things like this. It was really strange. From this moment, he kept calling me all the time. I mean, for sure, every week I had a phone call asking just to talk like this, or asking questions about safety that he was, he'd never talked about safety uh, before, uh, before. Before that, he was telling me a few things about the Williams and even the position in Williams and the uh, advices about the team and uh, all, all, all kinds of things. It's very important for me to tell that if after this podium in uh, Adelaide, let, let's say we did not have this podium plus all uh, what happened, I would have had a, a different vision about Ayrton and, and what happened before. After this period, I almost forget what happened before and only concentrate on these six months, more or less six months, from Adelaide 93 to the 1st of May 94, because that was really unbelievable. And the week, the Imola week, is something uh, 
that I would not, I would Augustine never never forget because he called me during the week telling me about safety. He wanted me to get the, the president of GPDA. I told him, no, I, I don't want to do that. You should do it because you are the leader, you are the, the one in uh, your active driver. You know, you should have an active driver, thing like this. We're talking, he was telling me personal problems. He was not very happy. He had a few problems that I will never, I never tell. And then when I arrived in Imola, he was looking for me all the time. You know, I had a, I had a, a lunch on Sunday before the race. Uh, because we had the Renault and Williams obviously together, I was in the motor room, the motor room. It, I saw him going out of the Williams motor room before the rest. He never does that, never does that in his whole life. He came, came to me in the middle of all the VIP people who were there, you know. They were all looking at that just before the rest and came to me and talked to me about a few things that I will never I, I forget because it was not important, and then asked me to go into the garage. And then that was the last... Into the Williams garage? In the Williams garage. Ah. So I came to the garage. He was doing some exercise gym, and then he talked talk to me about, the, again, safety, about the, the Benetton legality. was very uh, worried about everything. But that is the last, uh, the last talk. But this weekend, you, you remember I was commentating the, the rest on TV, yeah. TF1. Yeah. We have done two hours, and two, two and a, two and a half hours uh, live and it was such a, a difficult, difficult moment, you know, but he, this weekend was awful. I mean, the accidental events and then I said Benger and then Ayrton, the accident at the start, I mean, maybe everybody forget that we had at the start. Yeah, yeah. Leto and Lamy, I think maybe. Leto Lamy and, and the wheel and the and grandstand. And we came to the garage, we had four or five uh, yeah, people, injured people. Uh, injured and then the people in, in, in the stands, you yeah. know, the mechanics and the, that was absolutely awful. So you can you can say that, that, that there was before 1st of May and after 1st of May, 94. So that's, uh, but yeah, I, I still keep the image of Ayrton almost as a, as a friend and a sort of link of my career and my life, because there's not one day I can show you on my phone, there's not one day where you don't have a message or, or something linked to the, to the Ayrton personality to the and, and myself and this career. It is unbelievable, unbelievable. And then you, were, you have been called by the family to be at the funeral in Sao Paulo. Yeah, when, and this was uh, absolutely surprising the whole world. When, when I, when I the, the evening of the 1st of May, I was with Louis Schweitzer, who was the president of Renault at the time. We, we have heard the, the official death of Ayrton at the airport. So remember we were together, yeah. Louis Schweitzer and myself, to do the, the press communicate together about the about Ayrton's death. So that was, uh, and I was, at the time, I was working for TF1, for the, for the commentary, and then for Renault for the communication. And I, I came back to the office on uh, the day after, and I didn't know what to do. Should I go to, the, to Brazil? Because I was, obviously, I wanted to, but I was a little bit worried and afraid sometimes. And I said, should I do it or not? So I called Jean-Luc Lagardère, who was the president of Matra, a good, good friend of mine. And I said, Jean-Luc, you, you understand why I call you? 
your your wife is Brazilian, and she knows every everybody in Brazil. I want to have an advice from a Brazilian uh, person. Should I go or not? Uh, should I risk something or should I? Because I don't want to get you know any aggravation. And she said, Anna, you should go. You know? And I've been only because of that, because I, I really didn't know what to do. And that is really something that I've done right, because obviously I've seen the family, I'm still a member of the foundation, I still have a connection with, yeah. uh, with yeah. the family, and uh, it, is, it is part of, uh, and they were fantastic. They were fantastic. I visited the, you know, the, 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 the house in, in, in the farm that they had, uh, because I could see the, the life of Ayrton, and yeah. uh, I had a long discussion with the, with the mother, the father, and with Vivian, and uh, now a good friend with Bruno. So we kept, we kept this, uh, this story together. I never, never, never had any problem at all with the family, oh, even, we know, we know. even with when we were, you know, fighting mm -hmm. together. Never. We always had the respect, and the people must understand that. Eton was very strange at one, one, one stage, the mid-back, that was it, because he wanted to, wanted to beat me. And I was more than, than a goal. I was, uh, I was his motivation. He, he remember when he called me, I remember I was in South of France. He called me in, uh, before, the, obviously the, before, just before the season. He said, Alan, I cannot motivate myself without you. I cannot drive, I cannot motivate, I can go fast, but I cannot motivate. I'm not happy. He was not happy. You, you know, you were at the track maybe at yeah. the time. Have you seen Ayrton's face at the oh, beginning of 94? Yeah. Have you seen the way he was behaving? I mean, I saw him, I was, was not the same person. He was not happy about what he was doing. You are the only driver who beat him on the same car. Yeah, but I was the only driver. When he was young, he was looking at me and he said, I want to beat him. Because he's the best, or because sure, like sure. this, and so I must be proud of that. I was proud of that, and I am proud of that because that is part of the story. But if you don't understand that, you don't understand what happened before. Mm -hmm. So that's why I wanted, or meaning, you know, after the podium of '93, if you understand everything, then you understand why some things happen, even if it was uh, on the limit. Okay, but that happened. So that's part of it. History. Look at what we have done together. You, know? you mentioned a word often used, um, which is respect. Often not used by you, but used by, by people very lightly. And I think that of all the ups and downs you had, and these, you also mentioned the fact that it was career defining for both of you. You know, you were historically you were just you just collided, you know, like two satellites or two, yeah. and yeah. it just made everything else around you glow and excite and you know I was there as you know and Roberto we were both in the teams and both journalists and we saw it from both sides and it was absolutely fascinating it was frightening fascinating because the energy and the ability and the skills that were deployed but also the mental you know even the politics if I can say you know the, the, yeah. the sporting politics fascinating absolutely fascinating Alain can I ask you um, Formula E We've talked so much about Formula One, of course. You are involved in Formula E. A lot of people in Formula One say Formula E is nothing. It's, it's marketing, blah, blah, blah. What, what's your feeling? I mean, you obviously you're invested in Formula E too, but how does it compare to Formula One? And do you think, could they ever merge going forward? 
That's a difficult question because I have a I have a point of view, and I, I can I can tell you because it's no problem. And first of all, I've been involved in Formula E, and I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan of Formula E. Still a big fan of Formula E. One of the reasons I well, because you know in, in my life I've done also a lot of other things. For example, I have, I have different mission for the French government for the biofuel and things like this. We are talking about biofuel today. I know very well their subject. You know? So maybe we go to the biofuels Formula One in the future, but I can help a lot in that. Because I've done uh, I've done a lot. You know, we have a fuel it's called E85 in France. I've done myself. You know, I've put it in, in introduced in France. So now we're getting much more in this department. The reason I, I was doing Formula E, if you remember, they wanted to have a electrical races on normal tracks. I said no, because the guy who was in charge of the first project was a guy who was working for me at Podmonkey. And we had the engineers that were working at Podmonkey, the Ibiwar and other guys. So I said no. And then said, if you do it in the city, only in the city, with nothing else, or, or electrical cars, but nothing, no noisy, uh, noisy cars, I would be interested. And then I came to the to see Jean Todd with uh, with a guy. I said, okay, I want to make a team, okay, but we need to have a, a project. It's not only racing with uh, electrical cars. We need to have a, a political environment inside the cities to help give the, the credibility and to help the electrical cars. That means uh, what we call the city political uh, uh, environment. We have never reached this goal. I was talking this morning to the Lucadino, the president of, uh, of Renault, about this project and the, the, the fact that uh, we never reach it because in all the regulation has been done with uh, the, the automobile industry. My vision is it's a nightmare. You know, we all go with uh, one direction only for CO2, but we have uh, cars today that we could have done much better than that. And electrical cars, okay, it's working. We have to run some electrical cars, but more inside the city, more with uh, So if you ask me what I think about Formula E today, I think it's going to be difficult to rest all the time, especially today with the environment we have in big cities. Uh, we need to look at the business model. And then what I, what I started to think, and I will propose because I'm still um, uh, the president of the strategic committee for me also. So, so it's not a secret that my vision would be to integrate Formula One and Formula E. You could have seven, eight tracks where you have the track for Formula One for example, here, maybe here does not work, in Mona does not work, but some places where you could make the track much shorter, so you still use the same facilities, you still have the same environment. And then Formula One, we are going to think about the new generation of engine. Formula One is the, the, the best uh, way to develop new technology. Now, if we want to develop a new engine, maybe hydrogen in uh, the not to not in the near future, but maybe that's one or another engine technology. We're talking about biofuel, and then we have to sign Formula E. All the constructors are going to be involved in electrical cars and, and uh, maybe hydrogen in 10, 20 years' time, but maybe uh, 
uh, as we have air hybrid or biofuel, whatever. So you could you could have a, a link together. That would be a, a better business model. And also, we can we can have a, a communication platform much much better than what we what we are doing today. Otherwise, it's going to be a little bit difficult for for both parties. We have also the women series that we are going to join Formula One. So you, you can see what uh, for motor racing is not only a sport; it's a communication platform, but it's also a, a, a development platform which which is not very well explained, you know. And maybe we have to we have to use it in a better way. That does not uh, include drivers or the, you know the, uh, the the human side, you know. But uh, we should we should, should think of uh, using this fantastic tool in a better way in the future. Well, wasn't that fascinating? And uh, apologies from us, the sound quality wasn't fantastic down the line, but how amazing. He's really, what a thinker, what a bright guy, you know, not just, just his insights on drivers and managers, but, you know, his, his approach to Senna, that sort of uh, the emotion, that emotional intelligence that uh, they, they both had in that rivalry, really fascinating. And I found it very stimulating to hear his thoughts on, on Formula One, Formula E, and how motorsport is a is a communication platform that'll get a few people thinking hard about all that so thank you very much once more thank you to alain prost thank you to roberto boccafogli do listen once more to formula once upon a time and uh, like subscribe and uh, follow us mm-hmm.